Hello, welcome to Quantum Nurse. This is Grace Asagra, your host. Quantum Nurse out of the rabbit hole from stress to bliss. This podcast is to provide holistic methods and perceptions for those who are caring for dementia um, loved ones and they're getting stressed out. So we want you to have a rewarding life. So we, I, we created this podcast. And today we have a special guest. It's, she's Deborah Lee James, and she's going to talk about the seven questions you must ask when hospitalized. And let me introduce you a little bit more or say a little bit more about Deborah. Having been on both sides of the hospital bed with experiences bad and good, Deborah learned seven crucial questions that need to be asked and answered in order for the best possible outcomes to occur. Questions such as, why am I being admitted? Who are my care team members? Are generic medications being substituted for my brand name medications? See, those are familiar questions that other than Deborah will ask. So she's a nurse by trade, but also caregiver along with her brother for two parents with different degrees of dementia. Her father transitioned in 2019 after a three-year battle with Alzheimer's disease and her mother is now residing in assisted living. Her brother lives about 20 minutes away from her mom in California. And she lives on the other side of the country. Especially challenging, but she loves sharing what she learned on this dementia care journey. Deborah earned her first bachelor's degree, BA in sociology, cum laude, from Howard University in 1984, where she also received an Air Force commission as a second lieutenant. She earned her nursing degree, BS nursing, from the Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing in 2003. She joined American Holistic Association in 2004, so right after she had a nursing degree and has practiced holistically for over 15 years. And that's how um, we that's met tough. because we, we had that connection in the American um, Holistic hello? Nursing yes. Association. Hello. Hello. Take care of your call back. I was just going to let you know I was on my way over that way. Okay, thank you. No problem. I'll be there about 10 minutes, though. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. -bye. See, Sorry. As you heard, a nurse is always a nurse. <laughs> the, phone, the phone tends to always be ready. Okay. <laughs> we can't help it sometimes. <laughs> but because, you know, we just, it's just innate in us. It's in our heart and our soul to always be available for people so we could take care of them. And, but anyway, this is a quantum nurse out of the rabbit hole from stress to bliss. And this is Grace Asagra, your host, and Deborah James, Deborah Lee James, holistic registered nurse, who's going to speak to you on seven questions you must ask when hospitalized. And just a further reminder that at the end of this episode, I will post all her information as well as a, a link for a book, a coaching call 
I, I will put it there at the end. So don't miss that link, okay? So welcome again, Deborah, my sister in my nursing field. <laughs> welcome. Thank you, Grace. And I apologize for that call. And um, I may have to step away for a few minutes. <laughs> but thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, as far as the book, seven questions you must ask from when hospitalized from a nurse who's been there and done that. I wrote the book because I kept wondering why someone else hadn't written it. Um, when I was at the bedside, I got questions all the time that I just didn't understand why they were not addressed on a regular basis. And then I realized, well, you know, maybe I should write the book. <laughs> so I did. And basically the book is a game plan for when you or a loved one is in the hospital. Um, many times people don't have all the information that they need. Um, sometimes if you have an elder that's in the hospital, they may not understand everything. They may not remember everything. So one of the first things I tell people is get a notebook. That's very important because then you can write down any questions that you have or the patient has. Because we, we have these questions and then we forget when the physician comes in because they start talking and going off, you know, onto their objectives. And then we just kind of forget what it was we wanted to ask. Um, now, some of these questions seem very obvious, but I cannot tell you the number of times that I've had patients admitted and when I ask them what they're being admitted for, they say, I don't know. Usually what they tell me is this, 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 and happened, and now I'm in the hospital. Now, I know what their admitting diagnosis is. However, I want to make sure that they know why they're being admitted. Unfortunately, I've had some patients who were admitted due to um, stroke symptoms. That was their admitting diagnosis. And they have informed me that they've never had any type of stroke, uh, mini stroke, nothing like that. And um, then I would usually ask, well, is your family going on vacation? And the answer would be yes. And I'm like, okay, there you go. Uh, we'll take care of you while you're here. I do my full assessment and, you know, I make recommendations based on that assessment. So why am I here? Why am I admitted? Some patients don't ever know. And if they don't have someone that's able to be with them in the hospital, especially now with COVID, God only knows if people understand why they're being admitted because you can't have that other person uh, with you. However, if you already know that the person has um, memory issues and is not able to answer questions appropriately, you can actually have one person go in with them um, to the emergency room if nothing else. 
And so that's something to be aware of. Keep that in mind. If, you know, if you know that person cannot answer questions, then you insist on being there with them because otherwise they're not going to be receiving adequate treatment. Um, another question that's asked. Who are my care team members? You should know, have the name of every person that comes in the room and deals with that patient. Whether it be physical therapy, whether it be physician, whether it be respiratory, whether it be the nurse or the CNAs. The nurse's name and the CNA's name should be on a board in the room. If not, ask that it's put there. That's very important to know who's, who's dealing with you because you should know that. Not so much to have a person to blame per se, but so that you know when family members call who they need to talk to about your care. Because if, you, if it's just, well, it's the nurse that's on duty, we need a name. We need a name so that we can ask specifically for them. That's something we definitely need. Another question that comes up frequently is about medications. Some patients come in with a list, some don't. Some don't know all the medications they're taking. They know what they're for, but they don't know what they are. And um, I would typically ask if there were medications that were prescribed by name only. In other words, no generic. Um, yes, it's true that for the most part, generic medications are the same as brand name. The difference being the fillers that are used in them. Oftentimes, fillers that are used are uh, products that will cause an allergic reaction or cause a, an issue. I'm lactose intolerant, and a lot of medications use whey or lactose as fillers, and I can't take them. So that's why you want to know that question. You want to make sure that if someone is prescribed specifically a name that is it's on the prescription is brand name. You want to make sure that that's what they're getting while they're in the hospital. Okay. What's another good question? What's another good question, Grace? Well, sometimes they come up with all these uh, procedures and with no explanation. So yes. it's always good to ask, uh, what, what are, didn't you draw blood this morning? What is this again? Or what? I'm going for what? An x-ray or something? So, Yeah. <sighs> Diagnostic tests. That's a fun one. Um, it's sad to say, but unfortunately, uh, the better your insurance, the more likely that you're going to have scans done and testing done. That's just the way the system is set up here in this country. Um, if a test is ordered, you need to find out why it's being ordered specifically. Um, we had a situation with my grandmother when she was alive where um, 
she was given a uh, spinal tap when she was admitted. And that was understandable because they were concerned that possibly she had meningitis. Three days later, they wanted to do another one. And at the time, unfortunately, no one was my grandmother's um, power of attorney. Uh, my father and his siblings, some of his siblings were there. They were arguing about who was still going to make the decision. Uh, myself and some of my other cousins, we were there and we're like, look, we'll make the decision. And the doctor's like, well, no, you're not immediate family. So basically we got all our parents together as family. And we basically told them, look, get your act together figure out who's going to be in charge while she's here and make decisions. Um, and I said, I don't think she needs another spinal tap. You know, the first one didn't show anything. It's three days later. Why put her through that again? And they couldn't give me a good reason why. I said, if you can't give me a legitimate reason why it needs to be done, then it's not going to be done, period. And that's what I told my father. And he ended up being the one to make those decisions. So you want to be aware of who's doing what with your care. And are the procedures that are being prescribed necessary? You know, you don't want to be poked and prodded if you don't have to be poked and prodded. There are some cases where, yes, you will have blood drawn every day. And that's, you know, that's, there are legitimate reasons for that, but you need to know what those reasons are. So the bottom line is you want to make sure that you are receiving proper treatment and that things are not getting missed that may be there. Um, it's wonderful if you can have a loved one there with you, but again, with COVID, not going to happen right now. But you can stay in touch. You can call and you can ask and you can make sure that the unnecessary is not being done and the necessary is being done. Hello. Follow up with the, with the lab works, since don't you think they also have to ask, you know, what's the result of the lab works? Oh, absolutely. And I yes. know that most of them don't. I, I would typically tell my patients, but yes, that's something you need to know. You need the follow up. And that's one of the reasons why you get names and phone numbers of people, because you want to know what was done and what were the results if you're never told the results there are things there's information vital information that can be missed um we found out unfortunately with my dad that um he was in chronic kidney failure did not know the test had been done, that any testing had been done, that, that any rating had been done. And it was like, what, you know, what? 
why is she why is he not being treated for this um same thing with my mother um she was just recently in the hospital and one of the things was because of um kidney issues and my sister-in-law asked you know is anybody treating this and i said it's been brought up before it's in her records i have asked about it previously but it's never been addressed so again uh i'm sorry grace one second coming While we're waiting for Deb, okay, I just really want to encourage you whenever you're, you're at the hospital, it's so important that you ask questions. You know, I, I know that as a nurse, there's already a difference when there's another family member who's there asking the questions. And then if the patient can ask questions, allow them to ask questions. Whatever question, some of them may, be, may seem really simple and nonsense perhaps, but you never know what information uh, you leads that, that question leads to, okay? Um, there's even a, um, a situation when at the very beginning, it's already important to ask, what's our plan? Like you say, okay, doctor, what's the plan? Okay, so if the problem is like this, if the problem is, let's say your loved one went into the hospital for um, low blood pressure or for just being uh, low blood pressure, under hydration or change of level of consciousness because they're under hydration. So that's, what's all, that's already the diagnosis that your loved one got from the emergency room. And because if your loved one is an elder or you yourself, so they may keep you at least for 24 hours. So always ask them for, for the plan, the plan of action, okay? And I know that if nothing else, build a strong relationship with the nurse the, or nurses around your loved one or around you because in the hospital the nurses are still the core of healthcare. okay the nurses can move mountains so when i was a nurse in a regular hospital especially in critical care i will call all departments for my patient whether it be a physical therapy religious department to offer some prayers and um let's see physical therapy nutrition i will call early morning you know and encourage them to send the best let's say the best soy milk or the best milk alternative milk or the best vegetarian meal if my patient is vegetarian so those things are really important 
okay? And it's, so, and it's okay if you just have a friend to go with you or to ask, or you have your family. Always appoint someone other than yourself to be proactive, you know? That's your life, so that's just important. And so I'm just think of questions. Then another question that I always ask them is, especially when you're about to be transferred to another facility, it's good to ask these questions for being transferred. Hi, Deb. That was Hi. So I'm, I'm back, <laughs> hopefully for a little bit. I just continue to encourage them that it's just so crucial to ask questions, whether it will be the patient themselves or the family or friends. And it doesn't matter what question it is. Just keep asking questions because they yeah. treat it better or they respond better. Any, any questions you have, um, no, one should have a qu no one should have a problem answering those questions. Um, I had an issue with my mother-in-law one time. I took her to the eye doctor. Uh, she was receiving injections for macular degeneration. And the physician came in. And he had, uh, I don't know, like a, I don't know, y'all probably won't remember Walkman, but <laughs> he had, you know, something, I guess, with his phone or whatever, had music going. And I asked him, can you please turn it down and he said no i'm like what he said no i'm not turning it down and i said okay because my mother-in-law has trouble hearing and quite frankly it's too loud for me to hear no i'm not going to turn it down it's my music i'm not going to turn it down okay i kept my mouth shut while she was getting the injections but afterwards, I told him I wanted to ask more questions. And he basically kept blowing me off. I explained that I was a nurse, which, you know, in his mind, that I didn't, I didn't really count. And it went so far as to he actually left the room when I was talking to him. So any questions you have, please ask them. And I got to step away for one more second. Sorry. And out, and of course, everything went sideways. <laughs> I'm back now. I'm back for good now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. But yeah, you, you really need to ask questions. And if someone does not want to answer your questions, then you go over their head. You know, but you document everything, write down every conversation. You know, you want to have the information that, quite frankly, they're thinking you won't have if you decide to uh, take things to another level. You really need that. Um, when you get your discharge instructions, make sure that they are read to you and you understand them. That's another thing that is typically glossed over is discharge instructions. 
it will have information in terms of if you have any follow-up appointments you need to make, if you have any follow-up appointments scheduled. It will give you information as to what you can do if an emergency situation comes up. And that's stuff you really need to know. If they've um, noticed anything um, unusual as far as results, test results, that will be on there. And also, um, they should have a medication list on there. So you might have been given new medications that uh, you don't, you're not aware. So the, the medication list should be on there as well. Make sure they go through that with you. That is, that is, that is essential. You know, don't just have them hand you the discharge instructions and say, you understand this? No. I would read them to my patients. Um, if they got to the point where they were really like, okay, we get it. We're good. We can read them later. I'd be like, okay, I'm just letting you know. I told you um, so that you could be aware. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because sometimes also like in terms of medication, there could be changes, changes in medications. So it's important that, you know, you know a responsible nurse will really go through that. But if in case they don't experience that, it's always ask, good to ask question, are there changes in my medications? And can right. you please explain it to me or, you know, show right. it, you know, and whether that's the patient or the, the loved ones asking, you know, it's always crucial because sometimes when they go home and they think, cause they still have the old pills, mm -hmm. the old medication, and then they may, they, there's, it's, it's not unusual that they go to the old medication list. Right. right? Yeah. So that's safety so yeah think always think about questions for safety mm -hmm. the other thing you need to make sure too is that your primary care provider knows you're in the hospital because i can tell you from firsthand experience primary care physician is not notified <laughs> i'd say you know in less than 50 percent of the times so that's something that you need to know and send them a copy of your discharge instructions so that they have everything. You know, the bottom line is you want to make sure that the patient is getting the treatment they need. They are being appropriately seen in terms of the right people are seeing them for the right reasons, whether that's a specialist or what have you. Um, and you want to be sure that you know who is involved in case something does go wrong. That's why you need names and numbers. And that's why I just tell people, get a notebook. Get a notebook because that will be your lifesaver. You know, like Grace said, you want to make sure that your family member or yourself, you want to make sure that you are taken care of and you're safe yeah and then um as we have done as one has that notebook and you could record many things in fact when when uh, healthcare 
providers or healthcare uh, staff is aware that you're doing that, they're more conscious and mindful that they will do everything for you. That they can be careful for you because they know that you're writing down things. You're, right. It's not only you. And what, one, one more th uh, question, I, not really a question that maybe we could share to them is that you really give these doctors or whoever's in charge, like the nurse, I, I, when, you, when you step out for a few seconds earlier, earlier Deb, I always say make the best friends with nurses because they're yes. your good health and good care. So I said, always also put the contact family name, one or two, and always kind of like demand from the physician or from the nurse in charge of our loved ones to inform that contact person. Yeah. All right. Um, that's something a lot of times doesn't happen and, and not for any definitive reason other than sometimes folk are just busy. Uh, especially now, you know, nurses are up to their eyeballs and beyond with caring for so many patients now. Um, and that's why I say get the information and then provide it to whoever you want to be aware of things at home because they're probably going to have to be proactive. Okay. Um, yeah. If they can't call you, we have to call them. Yeah, yeah you know? definitely. You know, we had to do that with my mother. So, <laughs> but she's back in assisted living now. So she's, she's good. She was uh, discharged yesterday evening. She's doing okay. What's the worst challenge did you have when, you know, since you're really far away from your father you know, and from your mom? That if you um, really do something different, you know, especially for someone who may be in the same position as yours, what would you have done? Well, one of the things we did after um, they went into total lockdown, um, because we noticed that she was kind of regressing with the dementia issues and figured out that it's just because she's not socializing as much. You know, she doesn't have that interaction like she was at one time. Mm -hmm. She, you know, fought tooth and nail not to go there. Mm -hmm. But then when she got there, oh, my God, she was like the social butterfly of all time. Mm -hmm. She knew everybody and she knew what was going on. And she had her own little posse that she hung out with. <laughs> and so with the shutdown, that's just, it's not happening. So what we ended up doing was... We, uh, we bought her a grand pad, which is a device. Um, she's an AARP member, so we got a discount and everything. But it's a device where they can make video calls. So um, we've tried in the distant past to get my mother to use um, Skype, but didn't work. <laughs> but the grand pad is very easy to set up. Uh, it's very easy for her to call one of us. And uh, typically that's how I talk with her now. I, what program is that again? Grand Pop? Grand Pad. Pad. Okay, great. Yeah, it's a device. Um, it was, 
it was something that was really, really, um, uh, 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 sorry for the thunder in the background. <laughs> it was, it was something that was really pushed early on. And then I think it kind of fell to the wayside because so many people have smartphones now and computers. And now I've, I've found that it's a lot more crucial because my mother doesn't have her laptop anymore. Um, she can kind of do things on her phone, but it's very difficult for her to see. You know, you got the little keypad and everything and the screen's not very big as well. So she does really well with the grand pad. I mean, you know, I can see everything that's going on. You can record your video visits, which is another benefit um, that I use just because if something is not seeming quite right with her at the time, then I've got something to document and and be able to say to someone else, okay, this is how our last conversation went. This is how previous conversations have gone. Something is not quite right. But yeah, if you, if I mean, and, and phone calls are good. I mean, we were calling her pretty much every night. Um, but it's still not the same as seeing someone. Um, just, just to have that person in front of you makes a huge difference. And so um, the grand pet is, has helped a lot. Um, she doesn't feel as isolated. Even though now it looks like they're going to be going back to the really strict lockdown She's in Northern California, which is not having as much of an issue as Southern California. But, you know, people travel. People travel. I'm a little worried about my brother right now because he's working on a job um, north of Los Angeles. So I'm like, hmm. But, you know, he, he wears the appropriate attire and what have you. So. Is having a good relationship with your brother helpful? very and i can tell you before my father was diagnosed we did not get along at all the only reason why i kept in contact with him was because of my sister-in-law i love her <laughs> but um once i was able to get him to understand what was going on with my dad um we you know we we both agreed okay you know, we're all on the same front. We're all on the same page, you know, whatever it takes to take care of him. So that, that has made a huge difference. It's interesting, Deb, that you're already in the health field. You're a registered nurse. You're, you, you, you were once in the military. So you have all these uh, credentials and background, but then you still experience all these challenges even you know for yourself at the hospital and that's why you came up with that book and now you know take just c communicating from a distance will you know with uh, whoever's taking care of your father that's mother mother your mother right yeah. so it's just uh you know so having really uh someone uh like like you who've been there done that um it's good for people to hear that look if if 
if I, as a registered nurse, having this difficulty, then you might have more difficulty. So just be aware of that, right? It's yes, definitely. You know, it, the main thing is persistence. You know, you're going to run into roadblocks. You're going to run into brick walls. Learn how to get around the roadblocks and climb over the brick walls because, you know, that's your family. That's your loved one. And they matter. Even if they don't matter to someone else, they matter to you. So you just, you know, a lot of what I've learned is fly by the seat of my pants because, um, you know, dementia care was not my background. <laughs> I had some involvement with it um, in school. And um, once I was at the bedside, because no matter what anybody says, um, wherever you work in nursing, you're going to have to deal with psych patients, period. <laughs> you just, you're going to. We're emotional beings. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's going to come up. So for all of you people who are thinking, oh, okay, I'm not going to be doing psych. Sorry, you will. <laughs> so you need to learn how to cope. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of footwork, um, a lot of research, a lot of time and effort put in to learn what I needed to know. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. This whole COVID thing has just, you know, kind of thrown all the rules out the window. Yeah. Um, I hear you. A, I, I hear you that, yeah, and I can see you're always doing something. So, so what, what, what you have any superpower that keeps you going? Because <laughs> I know you, you have your own health issues. You always overcome them. And here you are. You're back in the field of caring. Compassion. Compassion. I actually have a t-shirt that says compassion is my superpower. Um, because without compassion, you're not able to do anything. You have to have compassion for yourself. That, you know, and understand that you're not going to always get things right. You're not always going to do what you want to do. You're not always going to complete what you set out to complete. So you have to have compassion for yourself. And you definitely have to have compassion for your patients or your clients. Um, truth be told, before my father started getting ill, we did not get along that well either. And it was a long journey for me to get to a point where I had to put aside my issues and focus on the fact that this is my father. He needs help. This is going to be a struggle for him. And without compassion, I would have never been able to do that. You know, compassion is what helps me deal with difficult people. I mean, that's just, that's it. I, I can't think of anything else. I've had people ask me, how in the world do you, you know, work with that person? How do you deal with them? You know, I, I try to tell people that this person that you're dealing with has family. You know, they have a sibling, they have a child, or they had a parent. 
somebody at some point cared for this person. And I remind myself, what, what level of care would I want if this were my family member being taken care of? That's it. In the, and I was following you in social media and you have this 40 day club. <laughs> and today is day 33 and 40 days of leadership. And it says, the quote you posted says, good leaders have vision and inspire others to help them turn their vision into reality. Great leaders have vision, share vision, and inspire others to create their own. And that's from Roy Bennett. Say more about it. Well, it's kind of like uh, the, the post for today was actually from Lao Tzu. And it says, leader be the chief, never the Lord. So there's a difference between being in charge and being in control and feeling that you must maintain that control at all costs versus being in charge and knowing that you have people under you that are magnificent that deserve to go on to greater things and you should help them uh when i was when i was active duty that was something I always did. I had um, civilians and military working under me. And when the civilians wanted to move on to a different type of position, I told them, okay, what do you need from me? You know, what, what can I do to help you get that position? Because it's important. You know, I, I, me holding them back, what is that gonna do? Create resentment. Uh, they might leave anyway. So, I, you know, and I was, that was something I learned from my first military supervisor. You support your people. You give them the ability to express their views. But ultimately, you are in charge <laughs> and you have to make decisions. But, you know, you support them and encourage them, knowing that at some point they're going to move on to bigger things. And it's okay. Then I'd like to apply that if in case, and I, that's also applicable to, again, the hospital situation where you, if you're the patient or you're the caretaker, care, caregiver of the, your loved one who's in the hospital, you kind of really just always think, what can I, what do I want, right? What do mm -hmm. I want from this hospitalization? Right. Why did I decide to be here or my family this put me here? So it's always good to really like, so anything that we offer for others in terms of leadership that we sacrifice for others, we can at some point sacrifice for ourselves or as we say, be proactive, be proactive. For yes, that. yes, definitely. Yeah. Anything that keeps you up at night? <laughs> oh my gosh uh, right now probably the biggest thing is uh, the healthcare situation in the United States it's horrible 
Um, I have been saying for years that dementia care was going to break our healthcare system, but I think uh, COVID beat me to it. We are learning that a for-profit healthcare system is not the best system when a pandemic hits. For-profit healthcare means that hospitals base their um, number of beds on what's the optimal level of um, revenue for them. So you will see that there are hospitals that are that will have units closed. Um, I've, I've seen that plenty of times. Um, they will close units because there aren't enough people in the beds. So they will move the staff elsewhere. But when an emergency comes up, you know, they have limited um, special equipment. And we've seen that now with PPE. I mean, I remember when I was at the bedside and, you know, we had the annual testing that we had to do. And we were given one N95 mask and we were told that's it. That's all you get. You got to use it. So, you know, I'm wondering, okay, I have TB patients and I'm like, okay, am I putting them at risk? Am I putting me at risk by having to reuse this mask again and again and again? Um, just the simple things like gloves and gowns. I mean, even little plastic gowns, they're not hospitals for profit. Healthcare does not make it profitable for facilities to maintain all these types of things in storage. So when something happens, no, there's not enough equipment. There's not enough PPE because if you have all that and it's just sitting there doing nothing, that's money that you're not getting in revenue. But and the fact that we've outsourced so much of our healthcare, um, especially with medications, you know, they're, they're, how can you have 90% of your medications being made outside the country? You know, we've sacrificed lives for profit, basically. You know, it's like, okay, we can get them made cheaper overseas, blah, 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 whatever. But nobody seriously anticipated, well, what happens when the global economy goes into a shutdown mode because of a pandemic? What happens? Suddenly, medications that people need are not available. Then what? So yeah, our healthcare system keeps me up at night because I, I, I just, you know, I worry about my mother. She's in assisted living now, but if she has to go into memory care, that's going to cost a whole lot more. You know, are we going to have enough money to keep her there? There are a lot of mental health patients that should be taken care of, but they're not. Um, mental health is a very low priority in this country, unfortunately. And I'm finding that out for myself 
when um, my psychiatrist retired two years ago, I still have not found someone competent to replace her. You know, and I, we had a conversation with the insurance company yesterday and found out that even if we are willing to pay out of pocket for a provider, because we are under a certain health care plan, they will not take us. I'm like, well, you know, just act like I don't have insurance. You know, we're willing to pay out of pocket. Wouldn't be the first time. Nope, nope, we can't see you. So it's like priorities. It's like and, an ongoing, ongoing dilemma. Yes. And it's interesting, you know, about the lack of supplies when each diagnosis, I, if I, I still remember working in the corporate hospital, is that they, they get hefty amount of reimbursement, you know, for every diagnosis. So it can't be that they lack money to purchase those equipment or to provide what the nurses and other healthcare workers need. No, but it cuts into their profit margin. Just like a regular corporation. Yep, exactly. It cuts into the profit margin. So, you know, you want to maximize how much money you're getting in your pocket. Um, you have management that is getting, you know, outrageous incomes, outrageous salaries, but they're not, again, Healthcare in the U.S. is a business like anything else. Um, that's why I believe that the, your book, the questions and other questions that each patient, its client will bring to the table in, during their care it must be done because they're empowering. And then when they're, in, they're empowered, then that will that just be just for the safety, their safety. But technically, that you know, we're we're saving some some kind of you know national healthcare cost in a way, right? And maybe for ourselves because not just we're saving our our all those co-payments or because because there's always something that each one has to pay for every procedure, every at every admission. But then also making sure that our body is not burned out to the point that, you know, you just keep going to all these procedures and hospitalization for, and not, not improving. Yeah. Um, even though preventive care, um, the cost initially is more over the long term, it's less. But, you know, we don't do preventive care. We do sick care, basically. You know, someone has a diagnosis, you give them something to treat it. Okay, what if you can get to them before the diagnosis to prevent the diagnosis? Wouldn't that be better? So, so Deb, all these things that keep you up, but then you have your superpower. And there's... One more thing. What habit do you have? One habit that you will never miss every day. Prayer. <laughs> Prayer.
prayer. I mean, and, and, it, and it's not necessarily a formal prayer or anything. It's just, you know, knowing that when stuff gets tough, I can just say, you know, all right, God, I'm having trouble with this. I need some help. You know, that's a prayer. At home, um, in the hospital, everywhere. Everywhere. On a regular basis when I worked at the bedside. Um, you know, I would, I would be constantly going through the halls, like, Lord, get me through this, help me with this. And I had, you know, coworkers that would say, well, you're being blasphemous. I'm like, no, I'm not. This is an honest prayer. I am not being blasphemous. I'm saying, Lord, get me through this night because it is going to be a rough one. And, uh, what, what would be, what would you be doing? What would Deborah be doing in the next five years? <laughs> Uh, prayerfully, Deborah will be um, doing uh, talks about dementia care. Um, my, I am in the process of working on a six-week course for people to take. Um, it's basically a, a dementia care action plan. So I expect that will be going and will be very robust and more people will be, going, will be doing it. And also I'll have more opportunities to speak on those types of things. Um, and then just a little more work-life balance, <laughs> you know, get some time to travel. Although nowadays, you know, we're, we're not welcome anywhere. So we keep traveling inside, inside our hearts. What can we do? What can we do to express ourselves? That's our travel lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I haven't seen my mother since last year when my father passed away. I would love to see her this year. We've had to delay the visit several times because of COVID and hopefully in November we'll get to go for three weeks. But yeah, okay. I mean, just it, even just being able to, to go to the little um, B and B that we go to in um, Chincoteague, Virginia, that would, I mean, I would feel so much better. <laughs> it's always uh, for nurses. It's always that, challenge of we don't we don't seem to have enough time for our own loved ones for all other reasons and you know and we really have to strive to do that and yes. i think it will happen it will happen deb there's always a way right <laughs> it, it will happen when it's when it's supposed to okay yeah so thank you very much and i hope uh the listeners the viewers um got something that they reckon re they can resonate to and that they could use and inspire them to empower themselves it's okay be your own doctor be your own nurse collaborate with whoever is in there at the hospital because trust trust me and and uh deb we we know the secret of getting a lot of attention of care by just being proactive, being there, but be yeah. nice, be compassionate. Don't, you know, just, just be kind, all your questions. You don't yes. be sassy about it. <laughs> don't, don't be antagonistic. <laughs> you, know, you want to get information, but you also want to make sure that they know that 
you're serious about getting that information. Thank you. And so um, before we end, I'd also always like to share a quantum affirmation. And this quantum affirmation is I have quantum cards in the morning. And what, ah, I, okay. what I do is I shuffle it. I shuffle and with the intention, I say to myself, okay, what affirmation do I need for today? And that today I said, what affirmation do, do I need for Deborah and me for this podcast? And I say it three times in front of the mirror and three times at noon, three times in the evening. So that's something because it kind of like gets embedded in your own mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. DNA and sooner or later you embody it. Okay. So this one is what I got is refreshing exercise. <laughs> and it's really important for this, this lockdown thing. I thrive on going outside to receive sunshine and fresh air. I exercise my muscles regularly to stay in top shape. I take pride in my appearance. I have a healthy glow. I thrive on going outside to receive sunshine and fresh air. I exercise my muscles regularly to stay in top shape. I take pride in my appearance. I have a healthy glow. I thrive on going outside to receive sunshine and fresh air. I exercise my muscles regularly to stay in top shape. I take pride in my appearance. I have a healthy glow. Thank Excellent. you so much. Thank you, thank you. And thank you for the listeners and viewers. We appreciate your feedbacks. Please don't hesitate. We can only continue to get better and better and share better because Deb and I, we're not stopping. We just keep creating. Yep. <laughs> and I'll put Deb's information below this uh, description of this. Okay? Thank you. In my language, I say, ciao, mabalos, namaste. Namaste. <laughs>